Welcome to the Proclaim and Defend podcast, a ministry of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. We seek to encourage and inform pastors on modern-day topics from a biblical perspective. Our mission is to bring together like-minded Baptists to collaborate in glorifying God through fulfilling the Great Commission. Greetings, everyone. It's Don Johnson with the Proclaim and Defend podcast. We are conducting interviews with our authors from our uh, recent Frontline edition. The title of this edition was Gambling, What's the Big Deal? And we do think gambling is a big deal, something that is a real problem in our society, so we thought we should address it in this magazine. Our author today is Christopher Endy, and he's the Dean of Students at International Baptist College down in Arizona. And he wrote an article entitled Putting God to the Test. Really, there he's addressing the idea of risking things and sort of hoping that God will take care of uh, us in spite of our foolish behavior. So he'll talk a little bit about that concept and about what was in the article and some other things that we discussed as we talked about the subject of gambling. I want to remind you again that uh, we offer uh, subscriptions here. When you subscribe uh, as a paying subscriber to Proclaim and Defend podcast, you will be able to read the article right away. So we'll post Chris's article on our Substack. You'll be able to go there and read uh, the entire article. Uh, you can also, if you will subscribe on an annual basis, we will uh, send you the print magazine. So those are the things that we offer in that way. And, of course, it gives you an opportunity to support the ministry of the FBFI. And we hope that you'll do that. And we're uh, very glad this time to welcome Christopher Andine. So I'll just uh, stop talking and and start talking again as I introduce him in the podcast recording. All right, this is Don Johnson with the Proclaim and Defend podcast, and today we want to welcome Christopher Endine. He's one of our authors in our latest issue of Frontline, Gambling, What's the Big Deal? And it is a big deal in our society. I talked to the editor, Dave Shoemate, and, and we both observed how things have changed in our lifetime from a time when it was very much in the background and now it's very much in the foreground. And so Christopher wrote an article for us called Put God to the Test. Uh, but before we get into uh, talking about his article, Christopher, I'd like you to introduce yourself to our audience and give us your background, what your ministry is, and so forth. Sure. I am the currently the Dean of Students and the Department Head of Bible and Christian Service at International Baptist College and Seminary in Chandler, Arizona. This is a suburb of Phoenix, a, a city of about 5 million people in the valley. So, um, But this is not where I grew up. I was born in the Detroit area, grew up in Maine, on the coast of southern Maine. Um, I got my undergraduate and seminary degrees from Bob Jones University and moved out here three and a half years ago to take this role with the team here at IBCS. All right. Well, very good. Uh, we appreciate the ministries of all, all those places. And uh, I do re, uh, remember your dad ending up in Maine as a pastor there. He and I were in school about the same time. So sort of had your family in the in the radar for a long time. Yeah, and that's um, true. So I did. All right. So let's talk about your article. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, that's go true. Ahead. I did grow up in a pastor's home. And was grateful for my father's uh, influence on my life, his ministry, his example, 
of uh, love for the Lord, love for the word, love for God's people, and real, and his desire to help people, his desire to help young people uh, in particular. And so uh, grateful to now um, be back in the church where my dad pastors. I certainly didn't expect to be out here. <laughs> uh, my wife and I had been seriously looking at the mission yeah. field, the foreign mission field, and God um, redirected our paths and placed us here in the desert. And we're thrilled to be where we are. Yes. Yes, there are some. Uh, I mean, I, I've been to Phoenix, and and uh, there are, there are many attractions, but I will say that there are some that are not. So <laughs> <laughs> but, although I could do with it a little bit more warmth up here where I live. Anyhow, well, let's get on to your article. Uh, your title is "Put God to the Test," and that seemed we're talking about the subject of. Uh, gambling, so that seems seemed a little bit unusual. So why don't you just start by explaining the premise of your article that lies behind that title? Well, a lot of this started with a um, word study uh, that I was doing, and particularly trying to deal with the way that our translations or English translations um, interact with the Old Testament and New Testament words for this idea of testing or putting to the test. Uh, for example, the Hebrew word um, nasa, which would which is often translated to to put to the test or to tempt, can can really work either way. So God tested Abraham when he asked Abraham to offer Isaac upon the altar, and then um, God tested Israel at the waters of Meribah when he provided for the um, the waters to be made sweet instead of bitter. So God tests Abraham, God tests Israel, but this is the same word then that's used of what we should not do. For example, in Numbers 14.22, when it says that the people of Israel tested God these ten times and have not heeded his voice. Um, the New Testament equivalent, of course, would be uh, James chapter 1, where um, we have the expression... Um, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, various trials. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, right. the, then later in that passage, we, we read that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And it's the same mm-hmm. root. It's the same concept. So trying to deal with the interaction of that. And so what helped me was seeing certain translations that would handle it with a more neutral Set, um, phrase like put God to the test or put to the test. We typically will translate it test, tempt or test, which is interpreting it, which can be very helpful in some contexts. But in other contexts, I think we miss some of the interplay. So when scripture says in certain places, don't put God to the test, and in other places, scripture says, put God to the test, it really warrants some careful attention to the context to say, what is God trying to get across and how am I supposed to think about this? Okay, all right. So so we're in the ground of testing and tempting, and there is a danger for us. Uh, you, you mentioned the Numbers passage, and I ran into that just recently. I'm preaching through Hebrews, uh, and where it talks about don't harden your hearts as they harden their hearts. He's quoting one of the Psalms, and it slips my mind which one it is, but that Psalm is a meditation on the Numbers passage and how they, you know, the children of Israel, uh, the problem with hardening the heart is 
God will let you wander in the wilderness for a long time if you if you get in that place. Yeah. So I as I imagine that could tie in uh, as well to this whole concept of uh you know how we deal with this cultural phenomenon of gambling if Christians were to get themselves into this and somehow try to justify mm-hmm. themselves uh, uh and and their behavior. Uh all right so um I don't want to get into all the details that your article explains, but um, but let's talk about someone who might find themselves in such a desperate condition that they'd be willing to risk what little they have on gambling, on a game of chance, to save themselves from ruin, uh, putting God to the test to see if he would provide. So what kind of lies might a person be telling himself if he thinks gambling could be a solution to his money troubles? Well, I think the wilderness wandering connection is not insignificant here. We already mentioned Numbers 14. You mentioned Hebrews. First Corinthians 10 also reminds us that all the things that happened to Israel were examples for us. And the examples that Paul is primarily pulling from are the wilderness wandering experiences. And he's going to then say there is no temptation that's taken you, but such as is, is common to man. But God is faithful, not allowing you to be tempted beyond your ability, but giving you that way to escape. And that idea of temptation there is not simply temptations mm-hmm. to sin. It's the idea of those trials, those pressures that we have to bear under. So one of the lies that somebody could think is, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to feel this financial pressure. I ought to be able to get out of this. And rather than relying on God's timing and God's ways, I can come up with a way to get out of this situation. That's been a temptation for God's people right through the scriptures. Right. You think of Abraham needing a child to fit God's promise, and he and Sarah found a way, and it wasn't God's way. And the people of Israel, they want, they want um, better food, and their solution is let's go back to Egypt, and that's not God's way. Uh, so one of the lies is that I need to be out of this trial, and I need to be out of it quickly, and God somehow owes it to me, which which may lead to a second lie. Right. That, that may lead to a second lie in the sense that I deserve God's special attention to provide for me. If I were to apply that to gambling in particular, gambling yeah. means some people lose and some people win. And if I'm going to expect God yeah. to let me win, that means that somehow I expect that God's favor is going to come to me at others' expense. Which uh, may or may not be warranted. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, God will bless me for gambling, but He's going to curse all the rest of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's uh, yeah, that's it's kind of a it's kind of a I think we sort of we have to think about that as lying to ourselves because because uh, we. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons we can justify doing something that we either know is wrong or at least we have this sense. This isn't really the right path for me to go down. Uh, now, you also talked about an objection. I, I've heard people raise something along this lines uh, about the Old Testament Urim and Thummim. I don't know if I'm saying those right, but uh, uh, the reference and then the references to casting lots in the scripture. So how is that different from gambling in the, in the scriptural context? Casting of lots is used in a variety of, of ways within the scripture. So when the Roman soldiers are casting lots for Jesus' garments, that is not the Urim and Thummim specifically. When the uh, sailors uh, in Jonah are casting right. lots, there's there's something different going on there. 
however, when it comes to the Urim and Thummim in particular, God is using this idea of the law in order to reveal his will in a particular area so that I can obey it. So the goal is to find out what God's will is so that I can obey it. But one of the things that's interesting when you look at the concept of Urim and Thummim in Scripture is they are never a means of manipulating God. We might think that that this is you know a way of just you know uh, forcing God's hand, so to speak. God has to answer, and I'm, I'm going to get an answer. But it's interesting when Saul is trying to consult God. Even through Urim and Thummim, he can't get an answer, which means that God has the control both to reveal his will and to withhold his will. So God doesn't commit to answer when a person is already acting in rebellion against his will, like Saul was. Um, So to to rebel against God's revealed will and his wisdom and then to appeal for God to intervene in the lot is putting God to the test. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, right, it's interesting right. if you look at why the Levites got the privilege of the Urim and Thummim. It's mentioned in Deuteronomy 33 that um, Levi um, was given the responsibility of Thummim and Urim um, because when Israel tested God at Meribah and Massa, interesting that connection again is brought huh. up here in Deuteronomy 33, yeah, yeah. Then Levi were the ones who observed God's word and kept his covenants and taught um, Jacob judgments and Israel statutes. So because Levi sided with God in that testing, God made yeah. Levi the custodian yeah. of this means of his revelation. So I don't think that there's a correlation between gambling and seeking God's will through Urim and Thummim because those were specifically ordained by God for revealing yeah. his will. Well, interesting. Uh, I hadn't noticed that connection before, but there's also, uh, I think it's number 16. Is it, is it where the rebellion of Korah is and the tribe of Levi? Of Korah, I think, was a Levite, but the rest of the tribe stood mm-hmm. with Moses. And uh, through the wilderness wanderings, there was some faithfulness. So even though they didn't have an inheritance in the land, they God gave them a special privilege. Well, and that starts even in Exodus 32 with the uh, golden calf, and it's the Levites. Who is on the Lord's side? And the Levites come, and they go through the camp and uh, kill those who were perpetrating the idolatry. Yeah. Right. Well, there's there's a there's probably a thread there for a sermon or or two on that subject. I think it would be worth a worthwhile study, but that's not our topic. So let's move on from <laughs> Levi. <laughs> now, uh, let's see. Uh, so when you talk about we're talking about somebody who's in financial distress, and often it seems that those who gamble most are those who have the least resources. I've noticed that here in our our government here is is all in with gambling. They've they uh, allow these casino licenses and they get a cut out of it and so forth. And and uh, and I've run into people who will frequent those places and they're you know they're not the wealthy who so, quote unquote can afford it. You know the it's people who really can't afford it. And um, uh, so what should people like this in financial distress? You know, what should they be doing in order to solve their financial problems? Well, part of it is, again, considering 
what the extent of the financial problems are, what's the cause of how to get there. So, you know, it occurs to me that if you really do have, you know, $10 a day that you can spare on lottery tickets. And let's be honest, the way the lottery works, I remember sitting one time um, witnessing to a guy who worked at a gas station. And so I got to observe him doing the routine with somebody with a lottery ticket. The guy came in with, with $20 and he bought $20 worth of lottery tickets and he got $10 back, $10 of winnings off of his 20. And uh, he didn't cut his losses. He, he went back and he put those $10 in and he kept playing the game until he had nothing left and he went home with, with nothing. So it occurs to me if you have $20 a day that you can spend on lottery tickets, what could you do if you started putting that away? Uh, if you started building a, an emergency right. fund or yeah. you put it in some low-risk investments as a, as a way of starting to build some of that financial security into your life on a very practical level. I would say somebody in those kind of circumstances also needs to be tracking all of their revenue and all of their expenses if they're not already doing that. Um, and, and I mean all of the expenses, right? Where does, where does the money go? Yeah. Because that helps you make intentional choices about where you spend your wealth. And that was one of the things that really struck me in this study was to see how much the scripture says that giving is the opposite of greed. Well, giving requires planning. You have to plan what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, so we, we could talk about yeah. some of that further later. Another thought I've had is just pray. I mean, have you talked to God about the problem? Is, is our first impulse yeah. to go to God or is our first impulse to say, how can I fix this? Um, a desire to fix it and to fix it quick is actually a temptation. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned the guy at the gas station. That reminds me, a friend of mine said, I'm going to start a lottery and guarantee winners. And this is the way it works. You give me 20 bucks and I'll give you 10 bucks back. <laughs> <laughs> guarantee yeah, winner yeah. every time. <laughs> yeah. So, And that's basically the way it works. There's enough little, you get a little hit when you have a little win like that. And it keeps them coming yeah. back. Well, it does two things. And, uh, you know, and it's very yeah, our, our area around here where we are in Chandler, we border um, Indian Reservation on multiple sides of our town. And so there are three major casinos that mm -hmm. are adjacent to our, our town, our suburb of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. um, some of them, when they yeah. moved out this, when they rolled out the sports bets, they would offer $50 of free bets. Well, yeah, yeah. you know, what, what do you do with $50 of yeah. free bets? If somebody takes them up on that and they lose all that money, they don't earn anything. They haven't actually hurt themselves financially, yeah. but they feel like they have because look what I could have gotten. And mm -hmm. psychologically, we yeah. feel loss much more keenly than we feel gain. So there's a desire to earn that back. Mm. Or if somebody mm -hmm. uses those yeah. 50 and they gain, then... They're hooked on the system, and of course, the company oh. can write all of that off oh, yeah, as, a, as a as um, a expense, as as a uh, tax deductible expense. Yeah. So they get tax free advertising, and those who are hooked um, just are yeah. are in a bad way. Yeah, yeah, are in the system. Yeah, it is. That's it's very pernicious. There's there's uh, um, yeah, there's so many stories. Anyway, let's move on here. Let's see here. Uh, so in the, well, you did talk about giving when uh, you counsel 
cultivating the grace of giving rather than gambling. So, And I don't think you mean by that, if you give, God will automatically give you more cash. Uh, that is, I've heard Christians say things like that. And I think that's, now I do think God will provide. And in fact, his word says that in Philippians and other places, God will provide for our needs. Absolutely, that's true. Uh, but, um, so what does cultivating giving rather than gambling do for us spiritually? Well, one of the things that, that giving does is it, it does force us to think strategically how we're using our assets. And not just our money, but a whole life of stewardship. God has entrusted us certain things. And so you have to budget to give. You might have to give up a streaming service subscription or, or use an older uh, smartphone or refrain taking out a lease on your new car because your old one still runs. And all of that is done with an eye towards mm-hmm. how can I give. So so giving ends up instilling an others-focused attitude instead of a self-focused attitude. Giving is about others. Greed is about yourself. Um, and so what we're not talking about is a manipulative attitude towards God that helps me think I can bribe God into meeting my needs. You can never put God in your debt. God never owes you anything. Job, uh, God was clear about that to Job. Paul reminds us of that in Romans 11, uh, quoting Job. And so you can't put God in your debt, but focusing on others is the proper attitude. Now, I do think there are biblical principles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus talks about making friends of the unrighteous mammon. uh, Which seems to have an indication so that when you're in a bad bad way, you have a a structure around you that can help. Uh, Solomon talks about casting your bread upon the waters that it may return after a period of time. So there, there is a wisdom principle of investing in relationships and investing in people through giving, through an others-focused attitude. But it's interesting that in Scripture, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands so that he has something to give. We think the opposite of stealing is just keeping to myself, but the opposite of stealing is is giving, working to give. This is actually what Philippians 4, I think, is doing for us as well. When when Paul is connecting the generosity of the Philippians to the provision of God. And I don't want to go into everything I do in the article there, but it's significant that when my God will supply all your needs, there is a basis upon which God is going to do that. And that basis is the generosity of the Philippians. So, no, we don't have a one-to-one correspondence that God is going to give to me if I give to God. But doesn't Jesus say in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you? I think the focus of both Matthew 6 and Philippians 4 is God already knows what you need. You are God's kids, and the Father delights to give good gifts to his kids. So instead of us fretting about our daily needs like the Gentiles do, God has called us to invest ourselves in his uh, kingdom, in his work, in his people, in his priorities, and then to let God take care of how he's going to meet some of those daily needs. Yeah, Yeah, I I know that... Everybody in their lifetime, if they're serving the Lord, is going to be put under pressure one way or another. And um, 
you know, there's, and there's all kinds, but in our, uh, uh, my own ministry, we, we made some mistakes at the beginning and came to Canada or to Victoria unsupported. And we were, we had met a lot of financial pressure. And then this, the kids started growing up and we were homeschooling them and it was costly. And it just seemed, uh, sort of a long, drawn out process uh, and times when just didn't know how God was going to provide and seeing many desperate prayers and God did answer. But as I look back, it's not just, it wasn't just the immediate answer that God was providing, but there were things God was doing for me spiritually too, that strengthened my walk with him that continues to this day. So we do need to have a, a long spiritual focus on this. Um, um, one of the things I was thinking about when people are sort of, I say, well, you know, uh, you know, trying to take a chance because maybe God will supply this way, or maybe they're, um, you know, they'll say, well, you know, there's a casting a lot in the scripture, as you mentioned, that, that is a thing that people use to justify. It seems to me that there's more going on than simply uh, uh, maybe the, even telling yourself these lies is a way to justify this. You've maybe had some kind of experience with gambling. You had a little rush and you're saying, well, you know, maybe this time will be a winner. You're telling yourself these lies because you'd rather, it's really, you just like gambling and you, you know, and you, and you're, and so you use these little semi justifications as a way to keep yourself in the, system and justify it in your mind what do you think about that i think that's possible I, I think sometimes it is hard for us to diagnose all the motives that are at work because we are so good at telling ourselves lies um the attraction of gambling can be that emotional uh high the the um anticipation the intensity the uh, the intrigue that comes with with wondering what's going to happen um, gambling can be a shortcut to avoid hard work i'd rather get it quick um, it could be a shortcut yeah. to find instant gratification mm -hmm. of something I want. Um, it could be a desire to become self-sufficient financially. I think of the words of Agur, right? Um, he prayed, Lord, do not give me poverty or riches. And uh, the reason he didn't want riches is he didn't want to assume that he was financially independent of God. He didn't want to live in, in independence from God. And so maybe God is too kind to let you win the lottery because he knows the spiritual damage that would that would come. Uh, but I think all of this, the, the self-diagnosing of the motives can be difficult. But um, the recurring theme of those wilderness wanderings was Israel asking, is God really among us or not? Is God among us or not? Yeah. And they were crafting. Well, I mean, God was putting them in these positions where he was testing them, but they were turning it around and saying, OK, God, are you going to provide? Are you really among us? And if you don't provide the way we think you're going to, mm. then we've given ourselves mm -hmm. an out. And, yeah. and frankly, the, the Israelites were far yeah. too short sighted on the possible ways that God could provide. They wanted leeks and onions and God sent bread from yes. heaven. They wanted meat, and God sent so much meat it was rotting in the camp. Uh, it's like it's like the um, yeah. captain who said to Elisha, "If if God opened the windows of heaven, could these things be?" And Elisha said, "Well, you will see it, but you will not taste it, because God has so many resources at His yeah. disposal to provide for His children 
that you're right. We need to be willing yes. to stay under those trials for the spiritual good. Uh, isn't that James? Again, right? Why do we count it joy when we fall into these various testings? Let me use that word. When God puts us to the test. Why do we need to bear under that? Because the testing yes. of your faith produces endurance. And when that endurance has its perfecting work, its completing effect, then you are complete, lacking in nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a powerful passage. And, and that whole wilderness wanderings uh, uh, story, as you just, as we're talking about it, that has a a great deal of relevance for how our lives are lived. You know, we, you know, we can't see God. We can't, uh, uh, you know, we read the Bible, we read about his works in the past. And, and so there's a real temptation to sort of in the present say, well, yeah, but so where is God lately? And so we want some kind of supernatural manifestation, but the walk of faith is just simply believing God. Yeah. And walking. And uh, taking that next Well, and step. it's significant to me, too, that these wilderness wanderings are where Jesus pulls his quotations back to Satan in his wilderness temptations. We know that they're all quotations from Deuteronomy, but the mm -hmm. context there is cautions of disobedience based on the wilderness wanderings. Do not tempt the Lord your God mm -hmm. as you tempted him at Massa. So when Jesus quotes to Satan, thou shalt not tempt yeah. the Lord thy God, He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.16, and the rest of that verse is, yeah. as you tested him at Massa. So the wilderness wanderings become yeah. the basis of yeah, warning for all believers. And uh, Jesus himself, in his own wilderness temptation, used the, um, the scripture yes. against the wiles of the devil to not yeah. put his father to the test in his own experience. Yeah, that, that's, that's a significant detail too that jesus is in the wilderness 40 days so mm -hmm. that number those that place that's all a significant part of the story so okay so we're at the end of my list of questions the bottom line of your article is to call christians to put god to the test by living for him putting him first and trusting him to provide your needs in his time and often through their god-given gifts of strength and normal work opportunities so why is hard work a more faithful test of God's grace than taking a chance on gambling? Hard work requires perseverance, which I believe is one of the hallmarks of Christian virtues. If you think of the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, endurance, long-suffering, right? <laughs> Patience. Uh, goodness, faithfulness, mm. self-control. These are characteristics that come from a heart that is willing to do the hard work to provide for your own needs so that you're not a burden to others and then to provide for the needs of your household mm. and then to have something left over to meet the needs of the church and perhaps even others in your community. Mm. And that requires the fruit of the Spirit. That is evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't take spirit filling to go to the slot and get rich quick. It takes spirit filling to persevere through the trials, to trust God, to meet his, uh, your needs in his time and in his way. So I do think that this is a more faithful test of God's grace because God has ordained these means. He's commanded these means. And I don't see the instant results. But over time, God uses his ordained means to accomplish his ordained ends. 
for his glory. Yeah, that brings to mind Hebrews 11 and uh, living for a city that they can't right. see. You know, that's we're looking ahead to what God is. And how many people have done transformative well, things true. for God without ever having earthly financial independence? God doesn't have to meet all our earthly needs yeah, to, I think to we, be uh, able to use us <laughs> for eternal good. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And, and we do, we, we might be falling into a trap by thinking, Oh, if I could just get this much more money or if I could just get, you know, we need to serve where we are and God, God will provide and trust him and, uh, and, and endure throughout all of it and for his glory, because obviously, you know, he is the one who saved us and done so Amen. much for us and we need to live for him. All right. Well, that's great, uh, uh, Christopher. I really appreciate your willingness to uh, sit down with me and have a chat about your article and, and the themes of it. We hope folks will read the article, subscribe to Frontline, uh, and uh, we, we're always trying to improve that, uh, that number, get more people on board. And I hope that this is uh, profitable as people have a chance to listen. Any final comments before we wrap up? For Can I just comment on the subscription to Frontline? Um, sometimes we think about the subscription okay. to Frontline as what can I get out of Frontline? And certainly there's great value in these articles. Um, the people who put the investment into writing them, I've benefited from them. My wife has benefited from them. But do you know why I first subscribed to Frontline? It was because of the ministry that FBFI has in the chaplaincy. And even before I was in a position where I was going to be greatly benefiting from what I received from Frontline, I realized that I had an opportunity to contribute to what uh, FBFI is doing as an endorsing agency to get chaplains into our uh, military and the opportunities uh, for that global influence of, of the gospel. So um, as much as I agree that Frontline is valuable, I would actually put in a little plug and say some of this is not just about what you're getting. But what are you contributing to something bigger than yourself yeah. in allowing God to use the ministry of FBFI yeah. um, to serve his church throughout the world? Amen. That, that's, I appreciate that. And, you know, while your college president is, uh, is a part of our chaplain yes. Corps, and we, the, the kind of ministry those guys have is really mm-hmm. amazing. And in fact, uh, uh, Mike Sproul, our, our uh, former pastor there in your in your church he was he has reached a very high rank recently yes. praise the lord for that and he has tremendous influence even in some of the highest levels of power in our uh, in America and uh, what a blessing it is to be able to be a part of that amen so, yeah. all right well thanks thanks very much christopher we'll wrap it up at this time and we will uh, look forward to more conversations with other authors coming up. I'm, I'm recording one tomorrow and uh, looking forward to uh, more that I down the way. All right, so this is Don Johnson signing off for the Proclaim and Defend podcast. This has been the Proclaim and Defend podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and give us a good review. If you want to learn more about the FBFI, check out our website at fbfi.org or our blog, Proclaim and Defend, at proclaimanddefend.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Proclaim and Defend.